Welcome to Officially Unofficial, the podcast by the washed-up athlete for the washed-up athlete. I'm your host, the former face of junior college baseball, the fall American Johnny Junta. All right, welcome back to Officially Unofficial. We are here with former Houston Astros prospect and Purdue Boilermaker. He is now the catcher, the bullpen catcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Jordan Comadina. Is that how you say it? First of all, I just want to start that off with that. Yeah, Comadina. Comadina, there like it is. Punctuation, yeah, Comadina. So let's get into your playing career first. We're going to start it off with the playing yeah. career before we get into the, obviously the bullpen catcher and all that. You mm-hmm. were you, you were a you were a prospect for the Astros. So talk about where you started and uh, what made you obviously become a, a catcher. Well, you know my um, whole life growing up, you know, I, catching was always my first love. Um, I played all the different positions, and I you know baseball was really my first love of. You know, in sports, I played everything growing up as a, as a young kid, football and basketball, soccer, everything. But baseball was always the thing that really um, intrigued me the most. And I loved, you know, just doing the most. And and honestly, I loved um, I loved catching from a very young age because catchers got more equipment. They got, you know, they got more gear. They got, uh, you know, a different kind of glove and they just had more stuff, you know. And so if you ask any um, you know, teammate or guy that I've been around throughout my career, um, they would tell you that I like stuff, you know? And so being a catcher and, and really just being, you know, throughout college and, and, um, you know, even into pro ball a little bit, being kind of a utility guy who also caught, I always had a bag of gloves, first base, outfield, infield, my catcher stuff. And I just loved it. Cause I got to have, uh, and need all this, all this gear. You know, and so catching, from, and you know, and, and really catching from a young age, I just loved being involved in every every pitch. You know, it's just so fun. You, you know, it, you get to call the game, you get to have that interaction with the pitchers. Um, you know, there's a leadership quality to it, certainly, uh, where, where you have that responsibility, and a lot of the game kind of runs through you. You know, and so uh, as a young kid, I just really enjoyed just being in the action so much there, and. Um, you know, and as I got into high school and, um, caught, you know, and played varsity for four years and, and was given a lot of responsibility and was forced to kind of, you know, develop a little bit, it's just high school, but you know, when you're playing with kids that are three, four years older than you, it forces you to kind of, uh, mature faster and, and get better. Um, you know, and then same with college, uh, going to college and, um, as a catcher. And then actually when I got to Purdue, in college is when I sort of transitioned from being a, a primary catcher to kind of being more of a utility guy, uh, just to get my bat more in the lineup. And actually in college, I ended up playing more outfield. Um, and I hit lead off and played left field predominantly for my time at Purdue and caught a little bit. Um, and then in summer ball, I played in the Northwoods league. You might be familiar with that, yep. the college summer league. Yep. Um, I played in Madison, Wisconsin for the Mallards for three summers and was really like a super utility guy there. And in the three summers I played up there, I, I played every position. I had starts at every position except shortstop and pitcher, you know? And so I, I played everywhere, hit lead off and it was just a blast. I mean, getting to go to the park every day, knowing you're hitting, you know, you're playing, you know, you're hitting lead off and it's just what numbers next to your name on the lineup, you know, where are you playing that night? It was just the most fun um, I'm playing first, I'm playing second, I'm playing third, I'm playing center, I'm catching, I'm playing left, whatever. 
just a blast and getting to learn the game and, and having that perspective from all those different angles, having all your, you know, all your gloves and getting to go and, and work on some stuff pregame at that certain position and just kind of refresh yourself with all, everything that you, you'll need to have ready for that night at that spot. Um, and then getting to go into the game and, and play all those different spots and play 70 games in 74 days or something. It's crazy that league, but it helps you develop. And, and that was, you know, um, a huge part of, of my college development was, was that, uh, that summer ball experience and carried that over into pro ball. Then when I was with the Astros, then I, I became more of a um, catcher predominantly again and played a little bit of first and a little bit of corner outfield, but was primarily a catcher. So you're a Purdue guy, and hand up to me. I'm a Michigan man. I love the University of Michigan. A little bit of a heated rivalry here, but we'll, 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 we'll be friends. Do you, what's the team in the Big Ten that you hate the most? Do we share a common bond in hating the Ohio State University? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, honestly, when I was at Purdue, in, in terms of, of baseball rivalry, we really uh, had a bit of a rivalry with Michigan um, just because, I, you know, honestly, our coaches didn't get along at the time. There, there was like some – it was kind of weird. Like the players didn't really get it. At least we didn't. I mean, it was just kind of – like the coaches kind of butted heads and um, you know, our, the, the Michigan first base coach I'll always remember would kind of be when we'd be at Michigan, we'd be on the first base side and their first base coach would be kind of just posted up there looking in our dugout and our assistant coach would just be chirping him, like telling him to get his eyes out of our dugout in, in not so nice way, you know, not, <laughs> not so nice terms. And um, you know, and so it was just like, every time we played Michigan, it was like, Oh, here we go again. And, we had some really good teams when I was at Purdue and Michigan had a, some really good teams. Um, they had, I mean, they were really good when, when I was there, especially my senior year um, that we were really good. And we set a, at the time a school record for wins and had a, a really good year. And Michigan was just loaded and they ended up winning the big 10 that year. But those, those, those games were always intense and it was high level baseball. Michigan and Purdue was, was really good. Um, on a bigger picture, just from a, a being a Purdue fan, yeah, I, I can't stand Ohio State. Uh, Ohio State football is the worst um, there. <laughs> you know, w- when you go to a, a game in Lafayette or anywhere, I mean, they're just so obnoxious. They, they take over the, the whole, you know, the tailgating area with their OHIO chants, yep. and they think they're just, you know. So, uh, what was it, la- two years ago when Purdue – last year? It was last year. Ago, it was last year. Last year you guys last beat them. Year. Yeah, yeah. When, when Purdue um, – you know, the Tyler Trent game and yep. the, the, at night and just everything that went into that, uh, the storyline there, beating Ohio State, ending their year, ending Urban Meyer. It was just like the greatest uh, night um, for Purdue. You almost uh, killed Urban Meyer. And really for the Big Ten. I mean, just to see them kind of take and, – and, and knowing that that game knocked them out of the playoff, essentially, and, and keeping them out from a national championship run. Uh, very satisfying. Yeah, you guys pretty much murdered Urban Meyer. Like Urban Meyer with his little yeah. fake uh, panic attacks on the sidelines. Yeah, he almost died that game. They ended him. Ended him. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. So do you go back there a lot to Purdue? I do. Well, I, yeah, I used to live there. This is the first uh, off season that I haven't been in Lafayette. Um, I'm in northern Indiana now. But uh, up until this year, uh, I'd been in Lafayette uh, every off season. So – um yeah I, I love getting 
over to campus, love, you know, going to a football game or tailgating or something every fall. And I just love campus. You know, I, I grew up, my dad went to Purdue. Um, I was born and raised in central Illinois, um, but grew up going over to Lafayette every fall once or twice for a football game or a basketball game. And, um, just was always a Purdue fan, you know, and, and loved, when I was, you know, a kid was the heyday of the basketball program and Gene Cady and Glenn Robinson and those guys that just went in the Big Ten every year. And um, Mike Allstott was the was the was the stud football player. And yeah. even dating further back, Rod Woodson, I'm a huge Steelers fan as well. Yeah. And Rod Woodson went, went to Purdue as an All-American and he was, you know, obviously a tremendous uh, player there. But Allstott, when I was little, was was the guy. And uh, the football teams were, were bad, but he was a stud. And the basketball was, was what was the, the powerhouse. And anyway, so um, just being a Purdue fan, I loved campus. I just loved everything about it. The whole vibe over there was, was great. It's just a, a great call, Midwest college town. And, um, you know, growing up and going into high school, like my goal was always to, I want to go play baseball at Purdue. You know, I want to, I want to go to Purdue. I want to play baseball at Purdue. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, have that opportunity, um, to, to do that. So, uh, yeah, you know, um, I was actually just down there two weeks ago, uh, for a friend of mine's, uh, Clayton Richards, who former blue Jay yes, last sir. year, yes, and, sir. And long, you know, vet, veteran major league pitcher. He's a good friend of mine. He went to Michigan actually, uh, played football and baseball there. And, um, he lived, he's from Lafayette and lives there. And so I was just down there last week or so uh, helping him with a little baseball camp that he puts on every year. Um, and then came back. So that was my, my one trip down there yeah, this, we, this off season yeah, we got we, to check out campus. We got to get Clayton Richard on this podcast because I have a bone to pick with university of Michigan baseball. Um, a couple weeks ago, actually like four, four or five episodes ago, I actually did a proposition to university of Michigan baseball. I had a guy here from Michigan and I said, I wanted to throw out the first pitch. I feel like it's appropriate for me to do it. I'm a Juco bandit. I'm a Michigan guy. They haven't responded. So Michigan, as of right now, I'm kind of a free agent for baseball fans. So <laughs> Purdue, Purdue, the door's open for you guys. But just know University of Michigan, Clayton Richard, we got to figure that out. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so I, I, I got a question. Because your last year, actually, you hit 295. And that was the year, obviously, you just kind of walked away from baseball. What happened with you? Like, what what went into your decision to be like, I'm done with baseball. I'm walking away from it. Well, you know that when I my time with Houston, um, you know, was was up and down. I I didn't play a whole lot, to be honest. You know, I, I was kind of just a I was a free agent sign out of college. I um, in my my junior year, you know, the, your junior year, as you know, you know, in, in college is your big year in terms of draft uh, leverage and just opportunity. And I was off to a really good start in college at Purdue and, and early in the season and into spring break was just having a, a, a tremendous offensive start to my year and was just having the most fun and was just kind of in one of those zones where and everything you hit was, was hit hard. Um, you know, nothing went at anybody. It was just hitting some homers, hitting some doubles, uh, you know, just squaring everything up. It was just like a perfect storm. And we were down at Samford on spring break and I, I fouled a ball off to the right, just a normal swing. And I, I ended up breaking my hamate bone in my hand and I, I, you know, I felt a pop and I, I kept playing and I ended up playing for like the next month 
with a broken hand essentially and and it continued to uh, bother me and get worse and worse to the point where I just couldn't even like use my left hand you know and so I ended up having surgery to, to fix it and um, ended up missing the rest of the season and um, you know went and had a good summer my best summer of the three in Wisconsin but then um, my senior year came back to Purdue and just was never able to get anything going at the plate it was just you know really really hard really frustrating um you know knowing you know what was at stake and and you know knowing there's you have a good team around you we had a really good team and just wanting to be a part of that and produce and help try to recapture what you had going the year before and was just never able to get comfortable or feel right for whatever reason I was healthy I just you know just I just wasn't any good it was just really frustrating um let's get some hits here and there but just it wasn't wasn't nearly what I was wanting or hoping for or expecting out of myself for that year and so I went undrafted and here's a, a, a kind of a wild story and then we'll get more to the the Astros stuff so how I ended up getting signed by Houston was in 2008, after my last year at Purdue, I, like I said, I had played three summers in, in Madison. And actually, that earlier in that summer, um, the 2008 summer, which I, I wasn't playing, and I was trying to play independent ball and just couldn't you know, get on anywhere. It was just really frustrating. The Mallards ended up retiring my number. In, in Wisconsin, my number 14 that I wore up there for three years and, and had three tremendous summers. They retired my number, so I went up there for a, um, that kind of ceremony and I threw out a first pitch um, and had you know a nice night there. And um, so then they're at the end of the summer, they put on an alumni game where they bring back you know guys from past teams dating back to 2001 I think was the first year of, of the Mallards and um, the owner up there Steve Schmidt is well tied into all kind of um, you know kind of uh, old school time you know baseball players Ferguson Jenkins Vita Blue um, you know that era of, of player um, and would those guys would come back to Mallard's games all the time and, and just be there signing autographs or just be around or whatever. And so this, this alumni game was put on, uh, it was former players and, and I was clearly the youngest guy there. I mean, I was 20, whatever, 21, 22 years old at the time. And, and then there's guy, you know, like literally I I'm facing Vita blue, like Vita blue is pitching to me. We're playing a real game and there's guys, you know, they're 60 years old or whatever. <laughs> And I'm here. We go. Blue Moon Odom, and um, so I hit two doubles in the game. Like Vita Blue's throwing 65 miles an hour, just tossing it in there, and I hit two doubles off the wall off of them. And I played shortstop, which was kind of ironic because it was the only position I didn't play in my time yeah. in Madison. And I, you know, I wasn't really, you know, a middle infielder per se. I was serviceable at second, but I sure as heck wasn't a shortstop. You know, so I'm I'm playing um over there and after the game jimmy Wynn comes up to me he was there uh, uh, he's got his number retired by the astros and at the time he was like a special assistant to the gm and so he comes up to me and he asks me hey you know uh what what's your story well, you know why aren't you playing anywhere you know and 
say, well, you know, I, so I explained to him, Hey, I've, I've been trying, I'd love to, I, I think I can, you know, I, I know I can, it's just a matter of an opportunity to something happen. And, um, I'm still looking to do that and pursue that. And so I said, okay, let me see what I can do, you know? So, said, all right, you know, I appreciate the, the, the little conversation we had and, um, and that was that, you know? And so that's like August, like late August, maybe. And then you fast forward to late January. Um, and at, in the meantime, I had signed to play with the Gary Railcats in the American Association um, and an independent team. And so then late January comes around and I get a phone call from a number I didn't know. I answer it. And it's uh, a fellow in the Houston Astros front office. And tells me, you know, long story short, they've had some conversation. They had, you know, and, and basically Jimmy Wynn is the one who facilitated this and that they wanted to sign me to a, you know, minor league contract and bring me into spring training. And so it was like, holy cow, you know, this was just such a wild scenario and wild story about how this all came about. Um, and so that's, that then uh, bought out the, the uh, independent contract that I had with, with Gary. And so I went to, Kissimmee that that year and and uh was it was an astro you know in their minor league camp and um was pretty wild and so you know being a, a free agent college sign who was 22 coming in there and having nothing invested in me you know I, I wasn't uh somebody who was high on their um priority, priority list yeah. by any means you know and so I had to really earn any opportunity that I was going to get there in terms of playing time or just to, you know, just to get to stick around for any extended period of time. And so I told them up front, like, I want to catch, you know, because they asked me, like they, they knew I had uh, played a number of different positions through college and, and really didn't, I, I probably caught 10 or 12 games in four years at Purdue. Um, and I wish I would have caught more. I wanted to catch, you know, and I just, it just didn't work out. And that wasn't, how uh, it played out there but I wanted to catch I knew I could catch and so I told him look I, I want to be a catcher not only because I that was my first love and, and what I wanted to do but I felt like that this is my best way of sticking around you know people need catching teams need catchers um, so this is my best opportunity so I, I wanted to catch and so I went in and um, my first couple years you know I being just kind of an organizational guy my first year I was at three different levels and um you know, was in low A, high A, went to Corpus Christi and double A for just a little bit, went back to high A and spent a lot of time in the California League um, with the Astro Astros in Lancaster, California, yeah. Southern California. And, you know, had to try to just make the most of any opportunity that I got to play because it wasn't easy. You know, it, it's you go, uh, you know, a week or 10 days or more without getting in at bat. And then you go in the game and, you know, you want to, my, my goal was always to, when I got an opportunity to play, I didn't want anybody that was in the stands or anybody that would be watching that game to know that this wasn't the, you know, the everyday starter. You know, I didn't. I expected there to be no drop off in in just the flow of the game, the uh, the level of play. There was nothing. Like, there's no reason that I can't 
step in here and, and do this. And so, you know, in the times that I was being the bullpen, uh, which was a lot, you know, I took that, that time and that work really seriously and treated it like a game. I, you know, block pitches and, and just treat it like it's a game. So those are my reps, you know? And so when I go into the game, it's, uh, it's, it's no different. And from an offensive standpoint, you know, you just try to keep your stance and your swing and your setup and your approach as simple and as repeatable as possible. So you can get your work in the cage and you get your work in BP and, and then you get into the game and you just try to keep things simple. You try to get on the fastball, get your timing and, and, and go from there. Um, you know, and I was able to do that. And, and over those first couple of years, I got pretty good at pinch hitting. I got pretty good. I thought at, coming off the bench and, and playing in a, in a pinch or, you know, spot starting once every 10 days and getting a start and still being able to be productive. And, um, you know, but the Astros, you know, again, they, they had nothing invested in me and I was just kind of, just kind of there and hung around. And then that last year was my best year. Um, and I was sitting well over 300 for a good portion of that year and kind of, just, you know, the ebb and flows of a season was just kind of in one of those down ticks, and I just didn't have enough at-bats. I would have come out of that and come back up into a hot spell, um, but it just so happened that the season kind of ran out and ran out of days and at-bats, and I finished, you know, a, a hit away from hitting 300 for that last year, and uh, I played some outfield. I caught, and I played, you know, um, played really well um that last year and then the next year in 2012 that spring training um I got released uh kind of towards the end of spring training and you know I, I I signed again with Gary uh for that 2012 summer and you know went there went through there because the, the independent season starts a little bit later because they fill out their roster with a lot of guys that get let go from affiliated clubs and um, you know, and, and it just wasn't the situation that I thought it was going to be, uh, in terms of opportunity. And, and I wanted to, I didn't care at that point I was back to playing. Like, I don't care what position I play. I wanted to catch. Cause I felt like, again, if I can catch regularly, it'd be the better opportunity for me to get back into affiliated ball. But at that point, you know, after the four years with Houston and just kind of always being a, a bench guy and not playing a whole lot, um, I wanted to play on a fairly regular basis and I didn't care what position it was I, I could I could play first I can play third I can play all three outfield spots I can catch and I'll hit just I, I just want to play and I was very upfront with them you know from day one going in there I, I, I just want to play anywhere P put me anywhere and I had a really good you know I thought showing there for their little preseason time and um, came down to a couple days before the season started and they just kind of told me you know, I don't know how much you're going to play. You're going to be pretty much a backup at this, uh, all these different positions. And I'm like, you know, this, this isn't what, this isn't what I envisioned, you know, for this summer and for this, if I'm going to play independent ball and make n nothing and be driving on a bus literally all over the United States and Canada to not play, like I, you know, maybe this is where it ends, Yeah, you exactly. know? And so, um, that's really, it was, you know, really for all the time and the, you know, the energy and the effort and the sacrifice and, and the, just everything you pour into your career as a player and, and, um, you know, where you envision yourself being or going and, and knowing what you're capable of, um, you know, and for, for that 
to be kind of the way it, it ended for me uh, was just kind of a, a left a bitter taste in your mouth a little bit. It's frustrating, you know, it, you know, but it is what it is. And um, so, you know, I, I can live with knowing that when I got opportunity to play, um, you know, I, I, I maximized that opportunity. I really felt like, you know, I did a lot of things uh, really well. Um, my preparation and, and, and the, that aspect of, of my game um, I thought was really good. And, and it, it showed because when I did get to play uh, and, and as sparingly as I did play, I was still able to be productive. And uh, so, you know, I, I took um, – I took solace in that, knowing that that uh, um, that that I, you know, did what I could with the opportunity that I had. Maybe the only one thing, you know, that I regret maybe was I, I wish I could have gone and played winter ball. Um, in the Dominican. I, I wish I sh- I would have, you know, pushed harder for that when I was with Houston, um, just to find somewhere that they could send me in the winter to get me some at bats. Like if I'm not going to, if, if I can't get at bats here, like I know I can play, then send me somewhere in the winter and let me go play. And if I, and if I'm no good, then they'll send me home and that's that. But I, you know, um, so maybe I should have done that. That's the one thing that I kind of looking back, kick myself that I didn't, uh, pursue more. Yeah, no, exactly. And, um, the biggest thing is the thing that aggravates me the most is when like these forty-year-old fans, the guys sitting in the bleachers, the fat get the fat guys that have no athletic ability that are like, you know what, I could be a bullpen catcher. No, <laughs> you can't be a bullpen catcher. You can't even catch your son's little league team. The big that, the thing that aggravates me the most is is your journey is you see how long it took you to become a bullpen catcher for a major league baseball team. Talk about like the day-to-day operations of what goes into being a bullpen catcher and how it's not just catching a baseball for a starting pitcher. Yeah. You know, and so, um, this year, you know, last year, um, going back to last year, I started to take on a little bit more responsibility in, you know, having a little bit more of a coaching role uh, as well. Um, and just diving into some stuff with our, one catcher specifically, Jacob Stallings, who's who's um, on our club and had a tremendous defensive year. Had a great year all around, but defensively was really um, really good last year. And um, just diving into some things with him, with his receiving and his just defensive um, game overall, but specifically with his receiving. And so that last year, and then this year, moving into to twenty twenty with all of the, the turnover uh, and, and changes that have gone on in Pittsburgh with our, our new front office and new manager and, and largely new staff, um, I'm going to continue to have, and, and I'm really excited to have a, a even more of a coaching type role in addition to my bullpen catching responsibilities. And cause that's ultimately what I want to do is, is I want to, I want to be a catching coach. I want to, um, you know, coach at the major league level and, and have a, the catchers all to myself and, um, and, and have that opportunity and that responsibility with those guys. Um, and, and the guy that we hired, Glenn Sherlock, who uh, was with the Mets the last few years and longtime uh, coach with Arizona, um, is, a, is a tremendous resource. And, and I had a really great conversation with him last week about, um, you know, the direction of the, the catching program with, with our major league club and, 
Um, it's going to be a tremendous year in that regard for me. And so that, in addition to the, the bullpen catching stuff, is um, is going to be really a lot of fun, and I'm excited to, to get to work with him. Um, so from the, the, the bullpen catching specifically, I spend a lot of time with the pitchers. Um, you know, I get to the ballpark around – I don't know, at home at least, I get to the ballpark around 12.30 or so in the, in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game. Um, if it's a first day of a series, we'll have, um, you know, an advance meeting at some point early in the afternoon and kind of just go over the scouting report and all the information on this new club. Um, last year, at least, I had a, a nice role in those meetings with um, preparing some, uh, you know, report uh, on the opposing team's catchers, uh, how you know tips or tells that they might have that might uh, tip off uh, a tendency, or you know what pitch is coming, you know when they like to throw, they might position themselves in a certain way, or back pick, or just stuff like that. Um, ways that we might be able to exploit them or attack them, um, and then just kind of paint a picture, you know, on that and present it to the group and, and go. So a lot of video work. I, I spent a lot of time in the video room doing that type of thing and preparing all that stuff, having it organized and ready. Um, so that's early in the afternoon. Uh, then once that meeting is done, the pitchers and the guys will start getting there early, you know, maybe 2 o'clock or so. And then 3.30, the pitchers go out. Um, the starters are kind of on their own little schedule. The guys that are playing catch that day will come out at that time. Uh, the rest of the relievers are also out at that time, and they go through a stretch and activation, and then they play catch. And so um, I'll play catch with one of those guys. You know, the, the number of guys will be throwing flat grounds. I'll catch those um, and just so they can get their work in, just feel the ball, spin some, some breaking balls, you know, whatever they, they need. Uh, I'm, I'm there for them. Uh, and then around that time, or maybe even a little bit before that, 3 o'clock or so, the, the, that day's – uh, starting pitcher who's throwing a side will also come out and depending on the day or if the other catcher or um, who wants to catch that I might catch that I'll play catch with him catch that side and then hop into the relievers and, and just take all that so there's about an, an hour in there where I'll play a couple games of catch maybe catch a, a full side catch some flat grounds um, and and then BP will come out we'll go through that um, and then we'll go in, we'll have another quick advance meeting with the players and, and just kind of refresh them on everything that they'll need to know for that night. And then at that point, it's about 5.30, 5.45, and, and then it, you're getting something to eat and getting showered and changed. And you get out uh, about 6.25 or 6.30, you're back out. I got the bullpen all set up. Um, towels and water and everything's organized and looking sharp for the you know the, the starting pitcher to come out. Starting pitcher will come out. I'll have the balls and, and all the starters. Um, you know, kind of like the balls doctored up to some degree, a bit differently. Some do it themselves. Some like me to have it done a certain way for them. So I'll have anything that they need. It's all ready, um, and and they'll come out. We'll play catch, um, and uh, they come in. And sometimes I'll I'll get them started in the bullpen, and then. The, that starting catcher will hop in and finish him up, and off we go. Yeah, the thing that I like about you the most is I did some research, obviously, some extensive research, which we do here, and you're me and you have a little bit of a similar ground with our friend little ball hawk, Zach Hample. I, I'll say it because you won't because you're a professional and I respect it. Zach Hample, I've said it time and time again, is a bum. 
Describe that little uh, little confrontation that you guys have together because this guy loves baseballs. He loves balls more than I, I can't say it. I'm going to be inappropriate here, but he loves baseballs. Talk about that. The reason why you kind of not refuse to give him balls, but are kind of like, dude, <clears throat> dude, dude, stop. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. I'm not giving him or any of. In Pittsburgh, we've got, and if you look on YouTube enough, Weirdos. you'll find, Weirdos. yeah, you'll find some videos. There's even some videos of some of the regulars in Pittsburgh out there that have issue with me not giving them baseballs. And I just honestly don't understand the appeal of showing up to the ballpark every single day at four o'clock and literally running and and like just running over people and competing with a, a crowd of g- grown men in the bleachers for home run balls and BP. Like I just don't understand like what, how that gets. Maybe if you're you know if you're ten years old and you you want to go run around in the bleachers at a at a like I just don't understand it from a from an adult's perspective. Like to me, I'm looking for little kids and and. and what what really drives me nuts is that they get on me for not giving them baseballs when they are literally bringing in backpacks and filling them with balls that they're catching, and then they get mad that I don't want to give them a ball. I'm like, dude, I'm not giving you any more baseballs. I'm like, what are you doing? And you're here today. You're here tomorrow. You're here the next day. We have a 10-day homestand. We're going to take BP eight times. You're, you're bringing home – you're taking home 80 baseballs. In a week, like, get out of here. I'm not giving you anything else. And I'm looking for kids. Like, I'm more than happy to go and give a kid who's maybe with his dad or his mom or, like, uh, nothing gives me more because I have a, a four-year-old daughter. And seeing her at the ballpark just brings me such immense joy and happiness to see her, you know, if she's out in left field watching us warm up and just – the innocence and just the, how big everything is and how truly happy she is to be there and how much, how much fun it is. You know, it's, it's cool. And you're a little kid and just all the sights and smells and sounds, and it's really cool. And so if I see a little kid and and the dad or mom's holding them and they're seeing and they're, and you can, you can tell like they're truly enjoying their time together. And this is a special night at the ballpark or whatever. I love being able to go go over and say, here you go, you know, here, buddy, or here, sweetie, here's, have a ball, have a great time. I love it. And, it, and you can see how much they appreciate that and they enjoy that. And, and I get so many tweets and direct messages from people, parents, or, hey, you know, thanks for making little Tommy's day. We had such a memorable time at the ballpark. And it's cool. You know, I, I appreciate them. They don't have to message me, but it's cool to know, like, hey, that – I remember giving that kid a ball and boy, they had a great time and you're welcome, you know, but these kids that are like, Hey, Hey, give me a ball. Hey, give me a ball. And, or you give them one. This is the worst. This is the worst. You give them a ball thinking your the, the intentions are good. It's like, here you go. And then like two innings later, they're back and like, Hey, give me a ball, a ball. I'm like, Hey, get out of here. Like I gave you one, I gave you one 30 minutes ago. Do you think I forgot who you are? beat it like get out of here you know and so that these guys that are there every day it's like what do you expect you just because we have the baseballs you think i'm just going to give them all away to you like i i 
I don't know. Maybe maybe I overreact about it, but to me, like I just really and and now I've gotten especially with the guys in Pittsburgh, I've gone like full heel on them. Like I any guy that gets called up or any player that's new to the organization, I'll go out in left field and be like, "Hey, you see these guys out here? Don't ever give them a baseball." And they know. <laughs> they know. And so now like Chad Cool is the best. Uh, Brault is is great with it. Um you know, like we're you guys are cut off. You're cut off. You get nothing. We're we're not giving you anything. You guys, you're the worst. Like you're, you know, don't even ask. And now they'll just yell at me and and give me a hard time because I'm not like trying to troll me. But I'm just I love it because they know they know that I know about them and they're not getting anything. No, it's honestly, great. man, it's so funny. Like I like I said. The fact, like, this Zach Hample guy, like, let's go back on this, is incredible, the amount of stupid shit he does. He wears the different team hats, the different <coughs> team uniforms, thinking that you guys are going to be like, oh, my God, this guy's actually a fan of ours. I'm going to give him a ball. No, Zach Hample. No. He, he jumps over kids for foul balls. He calls himself foul ball guy. First of all, it's incredible. I don't even know why he calls himself that. <laughs> but just, like, do you, like, as an athlete, do you guys like know, know you when every time you go to like a different ballpark like this guy is uh, just a ball hawk he's a loser looking for baseballs? Yeah, I mean, I, a lot of my guys know who they are, and um, yeah, the the uh, putting on the different hat or the shirt for whoever's hitting BP is a classic move, <laughs> and and you know, it's it's funny because Zach obviously started that whole craze and trend, and it's crazy like when he's around. I mean, all the guys that are out in the outfield, they're like, he's up there signing autographs and, and like taking pictures and guy, you'll see like other guys or kids that do the whole hat shirt trick thing. And you're like, come on, man. So Zach and I actually, cause he made that whole video last year and, about you, yeah. um, about the, the Pittsburgh incident, you know, yeah. and it was kind of a, a thing for yeah. a little bit on his YouTube, Yeah. but him and I hashed it out when we were out in Arizona last year, not in Arizona, in, uh, Anaheim playing the angels last year. And we buried the hatchet. I mean, he, um, we talked after a game, he was out in left field and, uh, you know, we, we talked things out, I suppose, after, after one of the games and, so him and I are on good terms now. So, um, and I, I told him, you know, I, I really don't have any issue with him. I mean, I'm sure he's a fine guy. I just don't understand like the whole ball hawk appeal. And maybe, and um, I don't know if I ever will. I, I don't know. But yeah. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not like I said. I'm not opposed to giving away baseballs. I just want. I just want the intention to be right. Yeah, like that's that, yeah, that, that, that's also a big thing for me is like the baseballs and the autographs. Like, let the kids get the autographs, man. Like, I, yeah. I, I, we've had a lot of obviously a lot of MLBers on this podcast, and they say like I'm fine with signing for kids. Obviously, it makes their lifetime. It used to make my lifetime when I was a kid. But when you're signing the the same baseball card 50 times for a grown man, and you know it's yeah. going to get sold, it has a little bit of a different value to the player, which is really annoying yeah. to me. Yeah, and and that's another thing that I don't understand either. When we go on the road and we go to these hotels in the in the other cities, you know, we travel, and you might get in at two o'clock in the morning or or later, or you know, and there's a handful or more, you know, of grown adults at the hotel waiting for us to get there just to get stuff signed by these guys, and it's like. What, where are you at in your life where it's two o'clock in the morning on a Thursday 
and you're standing outside of the West End on Michigan Avenue waiting for, you know, Jamison Tyone to come maybe sign, you know, these cards. Like, you got to have something better to do with your time. Like, I, And a lot of, like, it, it just blows my mind. Like, I, I can't imagine saying, like, all right, what are we going to do tonight? Like, we're going to go... We're going to go just sit out in front of their hotel and just wait for them to get there. You know, they're going to get there at 3 a.m., but we're just going to post up and be ready. And a lot of times, guys, they don't want to sign at the hotels. They don't. Like, they'll sign at the ballpark, but it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I, I want to go up to my room and go to sleep. Like, I don't want to get stuck signing autographs. Like, this is my personal time, and a lot of those guys feel that way, you know, it, and they certainly won't like you'll even see guys like track them into the hotel, like into the lobby. And it's like, dude, get away from me. Like I, I'm not signing anything. I'm certainly not signing it in the hotel. Like maybe if you catch me at the park, maybe, but it's just, I, I don't understand. Like it's the whole, um, memorabilia, uh, you know, collector culture. I, I don't know. Cause we'll see it in Pittsburgh too. They stay at the Fairmont across the river, right downtown. And if you walk over there, on a getaway day or when you know a team's coming in, there's a crowd. And it's all, you know what's crazy? It's all the same guys and kids that are out hawking baseballs in the outfield. They're all posted up outside the hotel over there. And it's like your day literally consists of coming to the park for hours and just trying to hoard baseballs in the outfield. And then your downtime is is spent sitting on a park bench out in front of the hotel across the street hoping – for somebody to come out where you can run them down and maybe get an autograph. Like I, to me, I just don't understand the appeal. Yeah, when you're a kid, you're going to the ballpark. Obviously, it's like something you kind of just grow up with, like getting autographs, stuff like that. But the, when you're older and all that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And I want to talk about something with you. Um, like, just is there guys on the Pirates specifically that you just like look at? You're like, man, you got to stop signing. You sign so much. Like, just start. Like, just relax, dude. Like, is there guys that are overly nice that you've seen like get consumed with doing that for the kids and the, the older people? Uh, to be honest, no, um, not really. You know, a lot of our guys are you know on the younger side of their career, and you know they're still trying to establish themselves at the major league level, and um. You know, to me, when we travel, like there, there will be some crowds, you know, outside of the hotels or, um, you know, uh, outside of the ballparks, like when the entrances, when we come and go. Um, but our guys are really, I think, in a good spot in terms of they're generous and they're they're all good guys um, and they're willing to to do what they can for those who want autographs. But um, I don't think any of them are overboard by any means, and they um get bogged down too much with with that stuff um you know what i would love to know i mean we don't have anybody um of the stature of you know like a mike trout or you know one of these guys like i can't even imagine the demand for his time uh that is not up to him it's just people showing up or being around like i do remember a couple years ago the angels came to pittsburgh coming into the city and driving by the Fairmont and the crowd of people outside of the hotel. And I, I made me think like, boy, what are all these people? Like, Oh, the angels, they're all looking for trout. You know, and it's crazy. Like they all want, and especially there where you're only going to see them once every six years yeah. in Pittsburgh, yeah. you know, cause it's a interleague game and it's every three years it rotates. So you got, you know, once every six years, he's coming to town 
and it was crazy the amount of people out out there by the bus you know waiting for him to get off uh, out of the hotel to get on the bus to go over to the ballpark um you know and if you're him it's like what do you do you know you, you can't sign all those autographs you'd be out there all day yeah. you know and so i i don't know how you manage that or what his you got to try to set some level of precedent and keep a I would, I would imagine, you know, I'm going to do this for this amount of time and I'm sorry. I mean, you, you just can't make everybody happy. You know, I, I know he's very generous with his time at the park and he interacts with kids and fans and, um, but gosh, I mean, you, you, you can't do it, everything for everybody. At some point you have to go about your day. Yeah, exactly. And speaking about elite talent, elite, elite pitchers, um, as a bullpen catcher, is there like a top like obviously you're not going to single people out, but is there like a top five guys that you've just like you're you're catching them in the bullpen? You're like you kind of sit back and like, man, I can't believe I'm catching. For instance, like Garrett <coughs> Garrett Cole right now. Like, is is there been guys that you've caught that you're just like, I can't believe I'm doing this right now? Um, not necessarily that you're you're awestruck by who they are uh, as a person or a player, but you're certainly um, impressed with their stuff. I mean, you, you, catching them and getting a firsthand look at how their stuff plays and just the the velocity, the um, the life on their fastball, how hard and sharp you know some of the off speed stuff is um, is really cool and really you know a, a unique look. Um, you know, there are not many people that get that vantage point. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, Garrett being one of them, his, just the life on his fastball and how just controlled and, and, and compact his delivery is and how the ball just explodes out of his hand, um, was, was really cool. Uh, Tyler Glass now with Tampa Bay now, he's arguably got some of the best stuff that I've ever seen. I mean, his, his fastball uh, is, is just like a whole nother level of hard. Um, and, and it, like, I'll find myself catching him, you know, when he was there, just like, how does he ever get hit? Like that, that's (laughs) like, that's what I would think. Like how did, if I'm a major league hitter or maybe not a major league hitter, cause I was never a major league hitter, but I'm thinking about my, even myself, like if I stepped in the box and had to face him, I would want absolutely no part of that at bat. Like, how does, how does he ever get hit? You know, like, his stuff is so good. He's, he throws so unbelievably hard. His breaking ball is so unbelievably sharp. Like, and, and there's still just enough, like, erratic in there where it's like, he might, I don't know, he might hit me in the head or he might just dot, you know, three 99-mile-an-hour heaters at the knees away and yeah. just, like, I, I want no part of it. Yeah, you know, there's only one way to hit him, and obviously the Houston Astros did it last year. It's just by banging a garbage can in the dugout, and that's no <laughs> offense to the Houston yeah. Astros. Actually, that, no, yeah. it, it, a little bit is offense. Actually, there's only one way to hit him. You got to cheat. That that just proven last year because Tyler Glass now last year the year that he had was bananas, and he's close buddies with Nick. And let me mention about Tyler Glass now. The guy is stupidly good looking. I mean, just incredibly handsome too. <laughs> just to top it off, he just dices and he's good looking. So how were you close with Tyler Glass now? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he was he was great. I mean, he was a young guy coming up with us, and and um, yeah, I got to spend a lot of time around him. And Tyler's great. Yeah, he was great. Um, he 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 is like if you could just go in a lab and design like the ult- the ultimate human being and and pitcher, 
you'd come out with Tyler Glass now. He's six foot eight. He's just shredded. You know, he's got the the, the great surfer hair and and uh, throws a hundred miles an hour. Like there's, he's got a lot going for him. Certainly, he really yeah. does. And uh, when you're in the bullpen catching someone, do you kind of know? Like, obviously, you're not like he's gonna carve. He's gonna throw no hitter this day. But d- do you like kind of notice when a guy's got a little bit more extra stuff on his fastball, a little more break on his curveball? You're like, this guy's gonna have a really good day today. Uh, a little bit, you know. You, you can't put too much stock into the the pregame, you know, um, bullpen or side, you know, session getting into the game, um, you know, just because. It, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's there more for feel for obviously for getting loose and um, you know, you're obviously not getting anybody out in the bullpen. Uh, But yeah, you can, you can tell um, you know, there's, he's got a little bit more uh, life on his fastball today or just the ball just kind of feels heavier coming out of his hand. So maybe his legs are feeling good. He's feeling, he feels strong today. There's, there's good finish um, on the ball through the zone. Um, yeah, and you, you know, you can maybe see, uh, you know, the breaking ball looks good or this doesn't look as good, you know, but you just, you know, you just keep all that kind of to yourself and every, you know, the pitching coach that's there, he can see it. Everybody sees it. Everybody's aware of what's kind of going on there. Um, and you just take it for what it's worth and, and you go into the game and then you kind of have to, um, you know, reestablish all of that as soon as possible, as fast as possible, once you get onto the game mound and the hitter steps in the box. Yeah, speaking about carving, I talked about this last, uh, actually a couple podcasts ago, Nick Kingham's debut. I believe you were the bullpen catcher for that. Talk about how cool that was to see, first of all, how incredibly well he did in the game. Because I was talking to his dad a couple weeks ago um, in per- when I was in Vegas, and his dad told me, he's like, my son's a good pitcher. When I was watching him, I was like, that is not my son out there. That is something greater than my son. So what was that like to just, I mean, warm up in the bullpen with him? Was the nerves there for him? or what? Like, just being there as a teammate of his, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure he had some nerves, no question. You know, the first major league uh, appearance and getting a start and um, a team like the the Cardinals, um, you know, a team of the veteran lineup and, and guys that, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, especially with a team that is, is maybe even a bit younger. Um, and when you're playing a team that is a bit more veteran and, and with some guys that have, you know, certainly had success throughout their career and are, are established players, you're pitching against, the names on the back of the Jersey, as much as you're pitching against the name on the front of the Jersey. I mean, being able to separate yourself from, Hey, this is, you know, this is Matt Carpenter stepping in the box. This is Yadier Molina stepping in the box. This is, you know, whoever it might be guys that you know that you've a couple years ago, you're, you're watching them on TV in the world series or, you know, and like, th- that's a real thing. Um, you know, where, um, you know, you, you have to kind of separate that fandom or that aweness. Like, hey, I'm in the major leagues now. Like, I'm facing these guys that I kind of watched when I was younger. You know, this Yachty's been in the league for forever. Yeah. You know, and so there's like whole generations of kids and players that have come up that are like, I remember watching him when I was in high school or whatever. You yeah. know, and um, grade school. You know, and um, and so I get to step in the box. I, I remember one of our pitchers, Jeff Hartley talking about he's from st louis you know and he's a young kid a a reliever and just talking about he did an interview talking about his first time facing the cardinals or the uh the angels and albert pujols steps in the box and he had to like take a second and be like i'm facing albert pujols 
You know, like I, this guy is like one of my idols, like as a Cardinal fan growing up as a young, young person in St. Louis, like, of course, Albert's the man. And now I'm in the major leagues and I got to get him out. So like, okay, here we go. You know? And uh, so that's a real thing. And, and I think if you look or talk to anybody from any team, you, you would um, guys that are rookies or, you know, in their first year and those first kind of experiences, that's a real, that's just human nature. You know, that's a real thing. That's part of, um, the process of becoming a major league player and establishing yourself at that level is being able to understand, yeah, this is pretty cool, but I also, I'm here to do a job. I, I need to get this guy out, you know, and, and, uh, just going about executing your stuff and, and, and shrinking that moment, not letting it become too big and just keeping it for what it is, what it's worth. Um, you know, I, I have to execute my pitches. I know how I need to go about getting this guy out and just do it. And so, for Nick, he had a tremendous game plan going into that debut. Um, he threw a lot of breaking balls. He was able to really keep them off balance. Um, and we were just amazed. Like, he, he struck out, like, 11 batters or yeah. something. Yeah. And it was just like, we're out in the bullpen. Like, who is this guy? Like, he's just <laughs> punching tickets, punching tickets yeah. over here. Yeah. You know, and, like, that's not necessarily his game, but he just had it going. He was throwing multiple pitches for strikes. He was throwing multiple pitches in, in multiple counts. He was getting ahead. It was just like a perfect storm of um, execution, location, uh, sequencing and, and, and just keeping those guys off balance. And he, it was tremendous. You know, it was really awesome uh, for us to watch. And certainly I can only imagine what he was feeling in that moment, just how special and cool that was. Cause you only get one debut, Yeah. you know? And so that was his, and it was pretty, pretty fantastic. Yeah, and I I, talk, I, I I mentioned that. The reason why everyone's like, you talk about Nick a lot, I just wanted to see what the perspective was based off like a guy that was there for his debut in the flesh catching his bullpen. So that's kind of cool. And I texted Nick, actually, to get a little dirt on you. Uh, he told me a couple things. He said um, that you could you, – you, there's this one store in Pittsburgh that you shop at so much that you should have part stake in it, an ownership <laughs> in it. What store is that? Uh, it would probably be this one yeah, right here. Yeah, 412. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. So those guys at, at Shop 412, um, 412 is the area code in Pittsburgh. And they've been around for, I think, 11 years now. Uh, they have a shop in Southside. And something that's unique to the city of Pittsburgh is that all the teams in Pittsburgh, Pirates, Penguins, Steelers, they all wear the same colors. And that is unique to the city of Pittsburgh. There's no other city in the U.S. Um, with their major sports teams who all wear the same colors. And so there's a saying in Pittsburgh um, that when you play Pittsburgh, you play the whole city. Yeah. And, you know, and it's really cool. And, and, and it's a unique um, – you hear it a lot with football and, and, with, and with hockey. Um, but it, it applies to all sports. Everybody's wearing the same colors. And so – 412, they, they have a whole line of um, stuff that they do, you know, hats, shirts, just all kind of athletic kind of athleisure gear. Um, and they also branch out to some other type, you know, streetwear type stuff. And it's a really cool, cool store. Um, they got a whole bunch of Nike shoes and Nike, like skateboard, Nike lifestyle stuff, Carhartt, you know, work in progress stuff, Stussy brand, Raised by Wolves, uh, Canadian brand. Um all, all kind of stuff. It's a really cool shop. And so over the years, I've gotten to know these guys really well. And, uh, and I'm just, and I'm friends with them. So, you know, if I have time or, um, 
uh, a day off or something, I always pop over there and just hop in, hang out a little bit and just chop it up with them and, um, spend some, some quality time over there. But, uh, and it's just a cool area. Southside in Pittsburgh is one of my favorite just places in general to be the whole Carson, East Carson street area is really good area. He also said you have a ton of shoes. Is this like how, how many shoes do you have? Like an estimation? Uh, I've, I've really pared it down. I, I used to have, I don't know. I used to have like around 80 pair. Um, but I've, I've, I've pared it down quite a bit over the years. Um, with a lot of my moving around, um, you know, I, I don't really have a permanent residence per se. Uh, so like I'm, I'm here in Indiana for like a six month lease and then I'll go to Florida for spring training. And then I go back to Pittsburgh and have a six month lease there. And so I'm constantly packing up, moving, unpacking, you know, and so I've really tried to minimize, um, just general stuff. And, and shoes is not the easiest thing to continuously pack up and move and unpack and organize. And so over the years, I've um, um, pared that down. And there's actually another sh- store in Pittsburgh and Southside called Zed's. It's like a lifestyle streetwear vintage shop. And they do a lot of consignment and buy, sell, trade stuff. And I've taken a bunch of like Jordan retros and a whole bunch of shoes over there. Uh, and he sold them for me and stuff. So small business, Pittsburgh, Southside, helping him out. And he's great, too. I've gotten to know him really well. And that, and that store is really cool as well. But um, So now, I don't know, I'm, I'm down to about, I don't know, maybe like 30 pair. <clears throat> okay. Paired it down quite a bit. Just down to the staples, um, my, my favorite, favorite pairs. So I actually just got in. The mail, I, I, I Nike ID'd. I got a couple pair of shoes for the season because you got to have, you know, some good uh, show shoes for, to wear with the uniform. I got some uh, some Harachis that I customized and got a home pair, road pair, and I, I tossed a little bit of red into the into the shoes this year because the the pirate logo's got the yeah the, little the, red. the bandana on the pirate patch on the sleeve is red and that's the only red. Um, I've been a lifelong Pittsburgh sports fan. My, my dad is from Pittsburgh. My mom's from Western Pennsylvania as well. And so growing up as you know, in Illinois, I was always been a pirates fan, Steelers fan, Penguins fan. And I personally love the pirate uniforms throughout, you know, in the, uh, I think 97 is when they were first introduced when they brought the red bill hat yeah. and the red in the Jersey um, and then they brought it back in, I think 2006, they had the black Jersey with the red. And then in 2008, they made a red vest that was just terrible. And that like ruined it for everybody forever. Like they, they went so over the top with the red for one year that, and they were so bad that it's like ruined it. Cause I'll always ask our clubby like, Hey, when are they bringing this? Cause we got some new uniforms coming for this year. Like when are they bringing that red back? And they're like, they're they're never bringing the red back. And I'm like, come on, like that. I need to be in those meetings. I want to be in those yeah. meetings and hear the the uh, workshop ideas on the uniform concepts because I think the I love the red just a little bit personally. Yeah. I so playing for the Pirates, you guys have a pretty good amount of like just dogs on the mound. You got Brault, you got Tyon, <laughs> Archer. I wanted to talk about Archer. Uh, what is what is Archer like? Like just playing like uh, just playing with him and obviously uh, seeing him every single day. Yeah, Chris is great. Um, 
he's uh, he brings a ton of energy uh, every single day. Um, he's a pro. You know, he's been around for a while, and and he's done some some really positive things in his career. Um, he, you know, he he brings a, a great disposition, consistent disposition. You know, every single day, um, good, bad, or indifferent. He's the same guy every day when he shows up. And, you know, like I said, he brings a lot of good energy, a lot of good vibes. He keeps things light, um, you know, and, and uh, he, he's a, a good presence in the dugout. And, um, you know, he's just good with, uh, with all of our, with all of our, our pitchers. You know, he, he fit in really well when he came over uh, via the trade. And, um, you know, I know he's uh, really looking forward to this year and, and um, looking forward to having a, a big year personally and and being a big uh, positive influence and impact uh, on our pitching staff in 2020 yeah and uh this is this is kind of a question that i totally forgot to ask you earlier it's probably the last question um nick told me that you have a very interesting story of how you became a bullpen catcher so describe what that story was like just out of nowhere became the bullpen catcher for the pirates kind of yeah so um back in 2016 um so even further back like i said after my time with houston i was at the time like in 2013 and 14 was actively pursuing and doing really everything that i could to try to get on with houston in this type of role um you know i knew a lot of people in the organization and and left you know despite getting released left in really good standing and and you know, had a really a lot of really good contacts there and connections. And um, at the time, uh, Doug Brocale was the pitching coach who I you know knew and, and developed a good relationship with uh, from my time in the organization. And and they had two bullpen catchers, one of whom is still there, has been there for a long time, and, and does a tremendous job. And um, uh, but they had another fellow that was there when I was playing there and he was stepping away. He was an older guy and had been there for a long time and was retiring. And so I knew they, they needed, or, you know, an, another guy. Um, and so I was, I went to the winter meetings twice and was just tracking everybody down, trying to just get in front of anybody that I could. <clears throat> but the first year I went was really this, the timing of it didn't work uh that it was the time when the team had been sold and and uh, mr crane took over the ownership of the club uh lunal came over from st louis and became the new gm and so there was a lot of turnover um a number of people that i had known previously were then not with the organization um and just the timing of it just didn't end up working out um so Fast forward, I, I got into coaching, and I ended up coaching a year at a, at a junior college in Champaign, Illinois, at Parkland. Um, I coached in Madison for the one summer, um, and then I got a job. Uh, another year later, I was coaching at Purdue. Okay, and so um, all the while, you know, just still trying to continue to figure out what I wanted to do. I wanted to coach. I knew that. And I wanted to be in baseball, but I think ultimately I, I knew despite working in college at the time that I wanted to ultimately coach in professional baseball. Um, so in the meantime, the Purdue season it had begun, you know, and we're into the season and this is like February. I get a, an email or a call rather from 
a friend of mine who was at the time the pitching coach at the University of Indianapolis that he had gotten a memo there from that had been forwarded on to him from the University of Pittsburgh that they had gotten from the Pirates about the Pirates looking to add another bullpen catcher. And this fellow at Indianapolis, I worked with uh, when we were we were both at Parkland together in 2013. And so we'd still kept in touch. And so he sees this and he knew at the time that I was pursuing something like this. And and he knew I was a, a Pittsburgh fan. And so all this kind of comes together. And so he calls me and says, hey, I got something here you might be interested in. And I and we didn't really know if it was like for the Indianapolis Indians because we thought maybe that would make sense because you're in Indy and it's that's the Pirates affiliate whatever so I was like okay so I, I sent him uh, my resume and some references contacts and stuff and said thanks and left it at that never followed up with anybody never um, you know really thought too much about it and so now the Purdue season starts middle of February the college season's underway and spring training starts and. I hadn't thought about this again, and all of a sudden now it's April, first week of April, and it's like 7 o'clock in the morning, and I get a phone call um, on a Monday morning and from a 412 area code number on my phone, but I didn't think anything of it. You know, I just knew it wasn't in my phone, so I didn't answer, and um, you know, I figured if it's important, I'll leave a message kind of thing. And they leave a message, and I listen to the voicemail, and it was Clint Hurdle. And I'm like, holy cow. Okay, so, um, and so I call him right back, and they were in Detroit. They had a day game, and he was going to the park, getting ready to go to the park, and um, kind of, you know, explains, obviously, they had gotten my information, and he had done some, some back-checking on me, and um, calls me and kind of gives me the rundown on, hey, you know, this is the deal, and this is uh, what we're looking for, and so I said, okay, you know, this is, this is a lot to take in and this is awesome, but you know, call me or let's talk tomorrow and I'll, I'll have an answer. So great. You know, I'll call you the same time tomorrow. We'll go from there. So, okay. So he calls me the next day, same time. And I tell him I'm in, you know, I want to do this. I, I know I can do a great job and, and what a tremendous opportunity for me um, to just kind of progress this, you know, my career and, and just see what, see what happens, see where it goes. And, um, and so, cause at the time at Purdue, I was the, I was the vol assistant. So I really, I wasn't making any money at Purdue. I was doing some other things on the side to make some money. And, um, so this pirates gig was a, obviously a paid opportunity. And so it was just, it worked out and I was able to manage both the, the Purdue season and the pirate season until the Purdue season ended. And then I was just strictly with the pirates, but for the first year, I was just doing homestands. So I was driving from Lafayette to Pittsburgh for every homestand. It was about a little over six hours. And I would go and I would stay. When I would go to Pittsburgh, I would stay at my grandma's place, who was about 30 miles south of Pittsburgh, where my dad was born and raised. And um, I would just commute up and back to the city, back to her place for the games. And, um, and then I'd go back to Indiana when they would go on the road. And so backing up a little bit so i okay i say i'm in uh let's do it so that was a tuesday morning and then friday night i was in pittsburgh it was jackie robinson day april 15th 2016 that was my first game first day on the job and it was just kind of surreal you know it was uh hop in i get there early afternoon 
they get me all set up with what I needed, and then I go out with the pitchers, and I just tried to, um, you know, be of, uh, of service however I could, um, you know, help them out during the afternoon, play catch, do anything they needed, and then once the game started, just be ready, um, you know, if the phone rings, because we have, we have two bullpen catchers, and so uh, just splitting the duty, and, it, and at the time, our bullpen coach was also, he would be the second catcher. You know, and it's a lot, especially for a national league where you're, you know, double switching or making moves and, you know, you might need to have two guys up at one time. Um, the bullpen coach, you know, his, his job really isn't to catch. Like he's got other things he needs to make sure he's keeping straight down there. And so that's why they, they wanted to add a second guy just to kind of, um, make that whole process a little bit more efficient and smoother, you know? And so that's what it was for for the first year, I would just go for the home stands. I'd go home for um, the uh, the road trips and back and forth all the way to the end of the year. And then in the off season, heading into 2017, I was able to get everything situated and finalized to be able to be there on a you know the the whole time, full time kind of role and travel and the whole deal. So um, you know, and and then with each passing year, I've tried to actively pursue more and more responsibility, um, take on more and more, you know, uh, role and, and have just, you know, try to create more value for myself and, and do more, help more, you know, and then finally this year, I think continuing, you know, with, uh, with where we're at with our staff and everything, I'm really excited to meet all of the new guys that are with our staff and, and, uh, i I'm going to Florida actually on Monday um, for a couple of days just to meet everybody and have some meetings and kind of preview spring training and, and all of that. And, um, just to continue to have more of a, a coaching role in addition to the, the catching stuff. Um, it's going to really be an exciting year and, and, uh, a rewarding and fun season. Yeah. And I'm excited for you. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it was a pleasure to have you on, man. I just like, I just wanted to get a little bit of a perspective on what life was like. as like a bullpen catcher. And just to give the fans a little understanding that you don't have to know how to catch a baseball to be a bullpen catcher. <laughs> that's just that. That's just the most, that that's the thing that's talked about the most is I could do that guy's job. No, you can't, buddy. You can't, you, you can't do yeah. this guy's job. <laughs> but yeah, man, it was a pleasure. Thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. There you have it. Uh, Jordan, Comadina, Comadina, or Dia. Yep. Comadina. It was a pleasure to have you on, man, and we got to do this again. i got to come to Pittsburgh and actually just have a couple beers with you and just relax and just talk about baseball, man. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be great. We need to set that up. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you. Thank you.